Restaurant Unstoppable episode 410. Just for for chefs out there, like, you know, follow your dream and 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 don't give up. You know, like you can be knocked down a lot of times and just get back up and dust yourself off. You know, it sounds so cliche-ish, but you're not gonna learn any of these, you know, life skills like having a squeaky clean straight to the top kind of life. I mean, it might happen for some, but it's it's not the norm. So if you get knocked down and you lose everything, you, you can still come back and, uh, and, and achieve your goals, you know? And, and once you get there, like, you really do cherish it. It's, 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 it's really kind of hard to explain, but it's, you know that you put the work in and when you're reaping the benefits from it, it's like a glorious thing. It's beautiful. So, Are you ready for it factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. There is no time to waste in the restaurant business, especially when an opportunity comes up and you need extra capital. Cabbage created a simple, flexible way to get a line of credit of up to $150,000, apply online, and get a decision right away. Withdraw funds when you need them without reapplying. Cabbage has helped over 100,000 small businesses. Get started at cabbage.com slash unstoppable, and you'll get a $100 gift card when you qualify. That's cabbage with a K. Line of credit is subject to credit approval, see terms and conditions. Who loves doing paperwork? No one. Sorcery is an efficient online AP automated solution for the food service industry and restaurants, large and small, are using Sorcery to provide a scalable solution to help them create efficiencies and ultimately grow their business while impacting their bottom line. To learn more, head to GetSorcery.com. That's G-E-T-S-O-U-R-C-E-R-Y.com. And be sure to mention Restaurant Unstoppable to get your first month free. With excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest, Chef Tim Boyd. Chef, my man, are you feeling unstoppable today? Unstoppable is not the word. It is inter manageable <laughs> awesome dude <laughs> so uh tim boyd got his start at the culinary or sorry at the california culinary academy in san francisco after moving to south florida and meeting his wife laura tim's resume went from, went from executive chef to owner of the well-known plantation hotspot upper crust tim would go on to create milk and honey cafe and today tim is the executive chef of the mustard seed bistro with his wife and owner laura boyd obviously we're just scraping the surface giving uh, the listeners just an idea of who you are i can't wait to dive in deeper to your story but let's get that motivational inspirational ball rolling with a success quote or mantra what do you got for us i did not teach you to make s-h-i-t I learned that a long time ago from my executive chef who one day came to the restaurant that I left him to go work at and I made him some food and I was scared to death, scared to death that he was not going to like what I made. And uh, when I went and checked on him, 
He said, Tim, I did not teach you to make S-H-I-T. And I've carried that with me forever. So that's my motivational. <laughs> I was wondering where you're going to go with this. So it, was that his way of saying that he did well, that you, you made a, a good meal? Yes. Awesome. <laughs> yes. It was that's- his way of saying I, I, I was like the grasshopper, you know, I, I got there. That's so awesome. It pretty, It was neat. And who was it that said this to you? This is uh, Jean-Francois Metinger at a restaurant called La Rangerie in Los Angeles. Beautiful. I'm sure we'll dive into that part of your story. But first, let's go to where it all started for you. So w- when did you get into this industry or how did you get into this industry? Um, started when I was in high school. I, I got a, a job in a restaurant. Um, like as a pantry guy, I didn't know anything about the restaurant business at the time. And um, I didn't even know that the restaurant that I went to was uh, a nice restaurant, but it happened to be a really nice restaurant. And then the chef there um, kind of noticed something in me. And he said that uh, probably my best thing for me would probably go to culinary school because he saw something that was a little bit different. Mm. So I took his advice and I went to a culinary school after I graduated high school and that's where it all began. Awesome. What do you think it was that he saw in you? Um, there was a, I had a, a, a keen eye for food. I could, I didn't know back then like the, the procedures and all that kind of stuff, but I picked up really quick and I had a, an excellent palate. So, you know, you can tell in some people. Mm. And so I guess he, he could tell that I had that. So, so he could tell he that you, in me. he could tell that you had it, but when did you, I guess, commit to this industry? Like when did you know you had it? When did you really start to um, develop that? Passion? I never believed it. And I still don't believe it to be honest. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, I just know over the course of time, uh, over the course of time working next to other people that were uh, quality chefs that like you can have, you can stare at them or you can see something and your, your food is better, you know, and some people have it and some people don't. And some of the stuff is, it can't be learned. It's just like an intuitive kind of thing. And I might have that. And a lot of people don't have that. So I've never like looked at that as like a, you know, it, it just, it's something that's natural to me. Okay. So, so what is it about the industry that kept you coming back that made you stick with it to invest your career into this? Um, I love the, the people aspect of it. I love, uh, I love chefs. I love front of the house. I love the guests that come in. It's a, it's a every day. It's a new day. It's a new experience. And, you know, a lot of people in the, in the kitchen side of it are a little dysfunctional. And I, I would place myself in that same department and <laughs> I can relate to them. So mm. it was kind of like home to me. Mm. So I get that. So you, know. you went to the culinary or sorry, the California culinary Academy. I'm, I'm not sure why I have trouble spinning that out. Uh, the California culinary Academy, uh, you graduated and you started working with some really great, uh, restaurateurs in San Francisco, uh, take us through that process. Like, were you intentional with where you were trying to get jobs? Like, did you have a plan at that point? Uh, what, what yeah, was going um, on? Yeah. The, uh, early on what I, I tried to strategically place myself with, with great chefs. So 
when when you hear that thing, follow your passion and not your paycheck, well, I definitely did that. You know, I worked in some of the nicest restaurants making back in the day $6 an hour and, you know, doing pastries at a place called the Rangerie for six fifty. you know, when they were doing $5 million a year and I was doing all the desserts. And I knew at some point it would become valuable, mm. you know, the, 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 the skill level that I was picking up at some point it was going to come, come into play. And, you know, it took a few years, but once, once I, you know, picked up all these, you know, things from everybody else, it came together very, you know, nicely. And then I kind of had a whole package instead of just, I, I, you know, I wasn't just a line cook chef or, you know, a pantry guy or whatever, you know, I, I had the whole thing. I could do pastries. I can do all of it. So it was, you know, for years I made nothing, zero, you know, it was a, it was a thing of passion back then. Yeah. It kind of reminds me when I hear people give this advice that you're giving and following your passion, not your paycheck. Uh, it reminds me of that Albert Einstein quote, try to become a man of success or not. Don't try not to become a man of success, but rather a man of value. And that's what you're doing when you're going to work for these incredible chefs. These people are teaching you skills. They're giving you assets. You're, you're growing your network. And if you bust your ass for these people, uh, they recognize that stuff and they, and they take care of you. They, they introduce you to the right people. They, they give you the next step. Uh, is that what happened with you? Did you, because Correct. of who you went to go work for, like, did you open up opportunities for yourself? Correct. Yeah. So it would be, you know, I, I would work probably a year, year and a half for, for a restaurant. And then I would dip out to another, another restaurant, but it would always be done like with my chef guiding me to another restaurant, mm-hmm. you know, one of his friends or, you know, cause I, I love to travel when I was younger. So they would call someone in Chicago and then mm-hmm. I'd go work for his friend in Chicago. And then from that place in Chicago, they would send me to Florida and, you know, it's kind of a network of mm. quality chefs that are out there that all kind of take care of one another. Yep. You know, if you have a, a prize student, you're, you're lending them out basically. Mm-hmm. So I was fortunate enough to be involved with that. That's awesome. It's, it just it reminds me so much of the, the concept of uh, transformative relationships versus transactional. I think that the industry has gotten way too transactional where you go to a job and all you expect is a paycheck and what they expect from you is to do your job. But what, what you're describing is a transformative relationship where you're literally molding and developing these people and pro- providing opportunity for them and really uh, caring for them. And that's what it should be. And I think we've gotten away from that. Would you say it's safe to say? Yeah, it's safe to say. And I would say like now it's gotten pretty far away from that. You know, there's uh, students that come to work for me that the first thing they want to know is how much they're getting paid. And right off the bat, I know that it's not going to work. You know, like they've watched a little bit too much TV and see these celebrity chefs. And that's not what the, you know, kitchen's all about. Restaurants aren't like that. Mm-hmm. So we're, we're talking a little bit about um, the people that have had an influence on you and that you've kind of got passed around from these, like these industry greats. What were the biggest lessons that you picked up during that time uh, working for some of these great chefs like Franz and tower and uh, who were some of the other people, uh, Francois you worked for? Yeah. Um, uh, quality, quality of food was probably the number one thing for like for kitchen side of stuff working with great quality and 
you know, a couple of the chefs that I worked with weren't really into like a lot of sauces and all that kind of stuff. So it was like the quality of the food kind of was the base. You know, you didn't have to bastardize things to make stuff taste good. So you started off with a really good product and you did as little as possible to it. And, you know, that that holds true today for me. You know, I do the same thing now. So I'm curious. Let's go chronologically. What was that you were working for? Uh, Jean Francois, correct? Yeah, um, Jean Francois. He was the executive chef at Larangerie. And then from there, what'd you learn? What'd you um, learn? Was before we go on from there, what was the big lesson you picked up from Jean? Um, Jean Francois. Uh, that was how to how to run a kitchen, like uh, to get a team together. He was like very organized and. I had a lot of Europeans there, a lot of French, Belgians that I work with, and um, their skill level was just a little bit more than the U.S. at that time. So just a, a great team. He had people from all over the world working there. So that, that was what I learned from him. So how to run a kitchen, uh, how to build a team, basically. Correct. And what? how do you build a team? What did he do? What did you pick up from him? And how are you copying what he did? What was the big lesson? Like, I know the big lesson was um, how to build a team, but like, how did he do it? Um, he, he just had good judgment of character, good, good people that he had working. Like he bring, he like same thing. He brought in quality chefs. There was chefs from all over the world that he brought in that he was able to, cause he was like a master chef that were willing to work for him, even though they were like chefs in their own right back then. So, um, he, you have an it factor. And if you're like an it kind of guy, you're going to get, quality people so he was able to and put all those like egos in check at the time it was uh, it was it was awesome i mean so, i i wish i could do that now but it's I, I haven't been able to pull that off but so you know but was it in the moment that you learned this about him or was it reflecting back in in hindsight it was, it was in the moment i like going to work every day was like it was it was nervous like i was nervous every day because everybody was so talented so seeing all that talent, you don't realize it back then, you know, when you're younger, the quality of people that you work with, or you, you just think you're in a kitchen, you know, and uh, he was able to like to get the quality guys, you know, like it's, it's not, it's rare to have a team of everybody's good, you know, in a kitchen. It's a rare thing. So in your mind, so I strive for that, but I've not managed that. Yeah. So in your mind, you you recognize that his ability to attract onto himself greatness, uh, and it was because of his name, his reputation that he was able to garner these great cooks, these great chefs. Is that correct? So correct. did you, at this point where you thinking to yourself, maybe instead of, you know, if, if I wanted to reach that same level of greatness, it's about, is it becoming, becoming great yourself so you can attract onto yourself other great people? Is that, was that a thought you had? Yeah, I kind of, I, I, I would, uh, I mean, younger, younger days, yes. Now, no, I have a whole different kind of look at that. You know, like I'm in, I'm more nowadays, I'm taking people that are maybe not as qualified and like a little bit broken. And I, and I, invest in people now you know it's it's not like an ego kind of thing it's it's more or less helping people out now yeah. so it's it's kind of changed my my whole outlook on a lot of things okay you know so 
We'll dive into that. I think we'll yeah. probably come back to that as we move chronologically. So let's move on to the okay. working for Jeremiah Towers and Mark Franz. What was the big lesson with that restaurant group or that those, those folks? That was, uh, yeah, that was like the glitz. That was like, uh, like, um, like the fanciest, you know, it was like a show, a cabaret show every night. It was an incredible place to work celebrities every night um great quality food you know again great chefs everyone was was very talented there um but uh working there the the quality of ingredients being in northern california and the connections that they had we had like the finest produce the finest meats fish oysters you know it was like a, an incredible uh learning experience there you know for quality of of products okay so at what point did you decide um to get out of california and why um i went to florida to i got a job offer to go to florida to work in uh for budweiser for the for their yacht so I came out to California. I mean, I came out to Florida to work on a yacht. It was like a 180 foot or 190 foot yacht, which I knew nothing about. I just accepted the, the offer. Okay. <laughs> so, so when I went out there, it was uh, how to provision the boat and how to take care of guests and all that kind of stuff. So that I landed in Florida and I did that travel the, the world for um, a couple of years on a yacht. That's awesome. Well, man, do you want to speak to that at all? Like, uh, that experience? Uh, the, the experience was awesome. It was, that was, um, but it's almost on, on a yacht, like you're, you're, you're dealing in a, in a fantasy land almost. You have, uh, endless amount of finances. There's never a no to like guests. It's the hospitality part of it. If there's, there is no no's. Mm-hmm. So for that, it was a great as a chef. You can just buy and do whatever you want. You don't have any kind of numbers to, to hit. So, and it's, you know, it's kind of fun traveling the world at the same time and getting paid. So mm-hmm. it, was, it was, it was, it was nice. So what lessons did you pull from that experience? I'm curious if there was any. Um, that, that was uh, hospitality part of it, you know, where the guest is, is treated like king and queen and, you know, and it was, uh, I was fortunate enough that, you know, I was able to, to meet the guests when they come in. Cause you'd be cooking for 12, 14 people for a couple of weeks at a time, you know, some high profile people. So you get to know them personally and you can kind of take down that, like the celebrity side of them and you can see them as just people just like us, you know, but you're there to serve them. And so, um, just serving people like the best of your ability. Awesome. You so know? when did you get back from this tour around the world? What's that now? When did you get back from this tour around the world? When I came back to Florida, because the, the boat itself, the yacht itself was stationed in, uh, in Miami. So I kind of like set up shop in Miami. And then um, from there, I went to, uh, I got off the boat and then I went to Chicago. I opened up Oprah Winfrey's restaurant in Chicago Okay. From that, at that point I was like kind of getting a pretty decent reputation. So, so wait, how did you open up a restaurant in Chicago called the eccentric? 
how did you get these opportunities? So you're, you're on this boat, uh, cooking for rich and famous people. Uh, you right. come back and you're in South Florida. Uh, and how did Oprah Winfrey, how did you get on her radar? Um, through like chef, chef, chefs were like a tight knit group. So we kind of stay connected. So if someone I worked with years ago, they might've moved to Chicago they might have like, they, they know the doors that are open and it just kind of works this synergy that we're all kind of together on this stuff. So they know what's going on. I know what's going on. And so it was kind of through a friend of a friend. This is what's going on. I went and interviewed and, and I got the job. So that right. was a new, a new, you know, so a you're new in, thing. You're in Chicago. You're opening Oprah's restaurant. Um, how long were you doing that for? Um, I did that for two years and then, um, and then I did another restaurant in Chicago, which was uh, Mike Ditka's, you know, the football player. Yeah, I opened up his restaurant out there. So in total, I was there three years, three, okay. three, three and a half years. So what's and then at, what's I'm kind of curious here because I feel like a lot what I've been able to tell people who are successful in this industry, uh, they're sharing visions, they're they're sharing passions. What was it like to go and try to make someone else's vision come true? And how do you buy into someone else's vision? And what like what was what was Oprah's mission with her restaurant? Did she just want to own a restaurant like Mike Ticka? Did he have a purpose with his restaurant? Yeah, like, pretty much. It was owned by a uh, a big a big corporation called Let Us Entertain You, where they slapped her name on it. Yep. Um, but doing things for other people, like at an earlier age, when I would, when I'd be working, I was always like this drum beat in my head was always saying, you have to get your own place. You have to get your own place. No matter what I was doing, that was kind of always like going through my head. Okay. You know, and so doing it for other people, great, fine and dandy. I, I didn't have a problem, but, but the, the drum beat got louder and louder, mm-hmm. you know, like, got louder and louder where where I no longer enjoyed doing it for other people, (laughs) you know? Yeah. Well, there's a lot to learn too. I think for doing it for other people is a great lesson. Uh, You might as well, especially when you have, you know, deep pockets, right? Like let us entertain you over Oprah, Mike Dicka. Like these people have money to invest. So you can kind of go in unscathed, right? You go in, you spend someone else's money and you do your best to help them open their restaurant, but you're learning so many incredible lessons along the way. Like what were the biggest things that you picked out from helping other people? achieve their their vision or working for them okay yeah so um with with those corporations like the the top four or five people like chef wise in a in a big operation like that are all pretty okay and then then you have like a lot of minions in there Mm -hmm. and then uh that part of i i it was uh people that didn't have passion so Mm -hmm. i saw a lot of that you know like people that were just taking paychecks and and working in the restaurant. And so I was getting like kind of a bad taste in my mouth about the bigness of that. So what do you mean by that? The bigness, do you think the the bigness was why there wasn't passion? Yeah, there's that, you know, they, they would, there just was the, the quality of, of people that they brought in the kitchen were basically there just to get a paycheck. They didn't, they didn't talk food. They didn't, they were just there, you know, and and I was like one that that's all I that's all I did. I talked food. I I I went to bed thinking about food. I slept thinking about food. And and 
there I saw people that didn't do the same, mm. you know, it doesn't make them bad. It just, they weren't on the same page as I, you know, like I had bigger plans. I, I just loved food. Mm-hmm. So, so this, this drum is beating in your head. Um, what, when did you start living or living intentional to start, you know, acting and taking, I guess, steps in the right direction to accomplish this, this dream, this, this, this desire to open your own restaurant? Um, I, uh, I got an opportunity after that, I got an opportunity to go in on a partnership on a, on a resort up in, uh, Oregon, up in Bandon, Oregon. So that was my first taste of, um, being a proprietor, you know? And so what year is this? It was, a, this was, uh, 90, no, yeah. Uh, 90, 90, 89, 90. Okay. Wow. So you graduated call uh, culinary school in 85. And yeah. in that time you traveled the, the world, you opened restaurants for Mike Dicka and, and Oprah for let us entertain you. And uh, yeah. after four years of doing this, now is when you're starting to put your own skin in the game. Right. Correct. Okay. What happened with that restaurant, that, that resort? Um, I brought in i I'm at this point, my ego was like, probably through the roof. And so I went to this small town. It was on the coast. And um, I thought I was invincible at that point. And that's the point when um, I started drinking. I started like believing the hype. And I, I pretty much screwed up my my whole life's work at that point, I, I kind of flushed it down the toilet from, from drinking and chasing women. It was like, uh, it was a looking back. It was like the worst, you know, I had the opportunity a lifetime and, and I had money that's skin in the game and I pissed it away. And so I had to, after that, I, I walked away from it. I walked away from it and I, and I swore I didn't want to be in the limelight anymore. I could like, I, I guess I couldn't handle it. It kind of had this realization that like, I, I wasn't as good as I thought I was, you know, cause you know, I was just bummed out. And so, uh, I needed to go back to work, but I didn't want to go back as in the, in the, as like chef, you know, like I didn't want to be known as any, I just want to be Tim, Mm -hmm. you know, wanted to go back to being myself. So, uh, um, from there I came back to Florida. So I came back to Florida and I worked in this hotel. I kind of want to go a little bit deeper here if you don't mind. Okay. So you mentioned, um, you let your ego get the best of you and you, uh, I guess you, you, you believed you bought into the hype, right? So what was happening? Were, were you getting accolades? Were we getting a lot of press at this time? Were people saying, yeah. you know, you're going to be the next yeah, we, big thing? Yeah, like we were, we were crushing it at this hotel. Like it was, a, it was, um, yeah, I just started, uh, and, and at the time, Oregon wasn't really too keen on people coming from California. So it was, I had, had a lot of people around town that really didn't like me at the time. And, yeah. You know, and, and I fell right into it and I gave him every reason not to like me. What do you mean? You Give know? me an example. What did you do? I just, um, I was arrogant. And so when I would go out and I, 
be in town. I would uh, just kind of flaunt the fact that I was better than everybody, you know, at least I thought I was. And the town was kind of a close knit town and they didn't, they didn't, they didn't think I was anything, you know, what, what <laughs> so, came of that? How did that affect your, your arrogance and your, your nose in the air? How did that affect your business? Um, it, it isolated me. So I became more and more isolated, um, to still, you know, doing my thing at the, at the, on the property and all that kind of stuff. But it was just became a, like a lonely place. I, mm. I, I wouldn't be able to go out, you know, without being the people, you know, getting in confrontations, you know, I, uh, I brought it on myself, but you know, so you also said your, your drinking, uh, was an issue. Yeah. So what was the, yeah. the lowest point there? Like when did you really hit rock bottom? Um, I didn't hit rock bottom. I went through some periods where, where I quit drinking and then, um, I would like stay sober for a couple of years at a time and then, you know, fall back, back into it. It was a constant struggle for, for a long time. Um, man, the last rough. 10 years have, you know, been alcohol free, but oh, that's awesome. Man. You know, prior, prior to that, it, it was, you know, a year not drinking, drink, you know, you get caught in the, in the restaurant. Sometimes you get caught up in this lifestyle yep. of, of working your ass off. And then you go out at nighttime, wake up feeling like crap, go and produce, Produce and feel crappy all day, and then by eight o'clock at night, you're starting to feel better, mm. and then you're ready to go back out, and you do this, and the next thing you know, a couple of years have passed, and you're still in the same spot, mm. you know. So, so I did. You said it was on and off uh, for like that for a couple of years, and I'm gonna make a note to come back to like when you know ten years ago when you finally made the decision to get away from it because I think we can learn a okay. lot from that. But thank you for being honest and opening up there. Uh, you, you come back to Florida, and this is when you meet your wife. Or are we? Um, we yes. Okay. So you're, you're. What year are we now? Like ninety one, ninety two. Um. Let's see. Uh, no, this would be later on. This would be like ninety five, ninety six. So, so you had the resort for like four years, five years. Yes. Okay. Why yeah. did, what, when, what ended up being the, the straw that broke the camels back there? Um, I, I no longer could deal. Like I couldn't deal with the isolation anymore. Like I, okay. I, I, we had a lot of money and, uh, and, but the town people, like we're talking flannel shirts type guys, Yeah. you know, and I just didn't blend well with those mm. guys. So it just became more and more isolated. If I needed stuff done at the hotel, the people that would come to, to fix it would be the guys that I, you know, would be out with in that like wanted to kill me basically, you know, because I was like chasing their wives. I was doing all kinds of stupid oh, things, man. you know, so stupid things. Distill the lesson from this five years. If you could just take away one thing that you learned, one thing that you changed about yourself to be better, what would it be? Um. Wow. Um. I would. Uh, wow. I ask deep questions, man. I don't mess around. I, I try yeah, to get the good that's stuff. Okay. Yeah. If I was to go back, like what, what, what was the biggest, what do I change? I would change. 
or what I did um, would be stay focused, you know, stay mm. focused, you know, stay focused on what your, what your, what your business plan was and, and, and not the extracurricular stuff, you know, stay focused. What about values? You know, did you learn any lessons about values? Oh, most definitely. Most definitely. How did your values you know, my change? My value system was, was broken back then. Yeah. It was, it was, it was broken. Oh man. Thank so, you. For- I appreciate you getting into detail too, man, and really opening up. This is where the gold is. This is where we learn. Uh, and moving on, you came uh, back to Florida. You needed some time to get away from the limelight, just just to be Tim, to, to just do your thing and cook. Uh, were you just taking any job? Were you being intentional at this point, or were you just kind of just you know trying to recenter yourself? I was trying to recenter myself. Okay. So um, I. I took a job at the uh, a restaurant called the Riverside Hotel, which was a nice hotel. And I had a friend that worked there. So it was kind of like charity because I was just like, I didn't want to be in focus and all, you know. So like I took the chef position at, at their fine dining in, fine dining And it was a matter of months from me working in there that like I was, I was found out, <laughs> you know. Yeah, I, I guess I didn't blend and hide well <laughs> enough. So the so some a proprietor came in, had dinner at the hotel I was working at. Wanted to you know call me out to the table, talk to him. They kept, they made multiple times coming in for dinner and stuff, and then they 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 you know made an offer to me after you know meeting me or eating my food for you know a certain amount of time, and then I met him, and then. Uh, you know, we made a deal. I, I took over their restaurant. It was a small restaurant, like a 40 seater. And, um, from there, like I, the restaurant started to become very popular and became very busy. And it was, uh, you know, it was almost like from, uh, from a one lunged restaurant to now having two lungs and functioning great. And, you know, I put it back on its feet. It was, that was a, that was a pretty decent time. So take us through that real quick. I met my wife I at feel that like, time. I feel like there's a lesson there too, chef, because uh, I mean, we, there's a lot of people that are probably listening to this who are put into that situation where they're expected to turn things around and you were able to do that. So w- take us through that real quick. Like what, how that process went. Yeah. Um, it was, uh, it, it, like word of mouth travels pretty fast, I believe. So um, in order to turn a restaurant around, you have to have people in the seats. If you don't have any people in the seats, you're not, you, you have no, you have no options. Mm. You know, if you're, if you don't have money coming through that, it's a horrible situation. So this restaurant that I went to, they might've been a little bit short on, on finances. And so once I started getting people in the door, you know, then, then you can do a lot of things you can. So I, I was all about putting out nice food in the, in the, the nicest food I possibly can. And, you know, and, and if you have kind of a, a, a skill set, you know, people gravitate towards nicer things, no mm. matter where they're at in the country. If you're putting out nicer food than someone around the corner, people will find out, you yeah. know, they'll find out. 
I feel so, like I think it's getting more difficult to do that. I feel I, I mean, I, maybe I'm wrong, but I feel like the food has come a long way in the past 15, 20 years. And I think a lot more people are doing good food and it's, it's really hard to, to really stand out with food alone. Creed. Yeah. So would you, with that same, uh, I guess, approach you took of just kind of, uh, of improving the, the menu would, do you think that would work today? I mean, obviously it would be a place to start, but is that enough? Not enough. Hmm. Not enough. Um, it's not just food. You know, I, I always thought it was just food and food alone and that, you know, end all, it ends right there, but you need a whole team of, you need a, a weight staff. You needed an environment, a nice setting. They all like, I learned this a while back. Like you can be a seven, like a seven chef. And then you could be, have seven server, like a number seven, you know, quality wise, and then seven ambiance. But as long as they're the same, you're going to be halfway decent. You could be 10, you know, 10, 10, 10 across the board or whatever, but they all have to be equal, you know? So if you have a great chef and you have lousy servers, you're, you're, you're not going to make it. And if you have, you know, great servers and lousy chef, you're not going to make it, you know? So it all has to be balanced. Okay. Awesome. So you, you meet your wife. Um, yeah. And how, when did things start changing where you start, uh, breaking off and doing your own thing. I mean, th- what was the name of this restaurant? We haven't reached the point where you're at the, the um, plantation, right? That, that was um, called, uh, what was that one? That was um, Las Olas Cafe was the name of that restaurant. Okay. And then soon after that, when I was done there, um, I, I decided to do my own restaurant. Right, so I decided to do my own restaurant. And, um, at that point, you know, as a chef, you you really don't make enough money to to open up your own place. Either you need to have a wealthy relative, wealthy parents, or you know, or you've met some business people on the on your path. But it's very difficult to, for people to you know put faith in you to open up a business. So, my first restaurant. Believe it or not, I opened up with $25,000. It was an existing restaurant that had everything in it. And I just had to sign the lease and then do improvements on it, which were, you know, that was the $25,000. So so how did you find this restaurant? I'm curious real quick. uh, Was was this somebody's exit strategy? Were they looking to get rid of it? And then you found a good opportunity or? Yeah, I found a good opportunity. Someone that... um, had a location that just wasn't able to make something work there. So, and it was funny. It was like a year prior to that. I said, I'm going to have that one day, Oh, nice! you know, <laughs> that's cool. <laughs> and so it was just the, when the, when the person, I guess they didn't pay their, whatever their bills or whatever. And then the landlord sees the property. I was the first one they called. Wait, so did you say actually out loud, I'm going to have that someday? Did yeah, you, like approach- I told my wife, it was next door to one of my, my wife had a, 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 a charm school and it was right next to it. And I would go in there and support the guy because, you know, I support chefs, but I knew he wasn't going to make it. So I told my wife way back then, I said, I'm going to have that, you know, and it's like, she kind of laughed or whatever. So when the, when the, when it came available, which I knew it would because I knew he wasn't going to make it. 
I was first in line. And so it was a, it was a, it was a steal. So did they know that you were interested? How did they know to come to you? Did you put it out there? Um, my wife talked to the, you know, the landlord, um, and so she kind of let them know that I was interested. So they called me right when he went out of business and I already knew that I wanted it. I didn't even have to like go in and inspect it. So I'd like took it sight unseen. Okay, I'll take it. And so that was it. And this was the plantation? Yeah, this was the, or, this was the first one in plantation called the upper crust. Okay, cool. So what was your vision for this? Like what, what were you trying to create? Um, I wanted to do like that one was like, I, I, I it was like, uh, that was a lunch spot and it was um, geared towards, there's a lot of like soccer moms in this area of like okay. well-to-do, you know? So I wanted to make healthier, nicer, you know, salads, sandwiches. And, and I wanted to kind of challenge myself to do it better than everybody, better than anybody, you know? And so my idea was, was a success. It, it was busy from the day I opened it. So, so how long were you open for? What year did you guys open that? So for that restaurant in, uh, in eight months of being there, like I was killing it. Um, somebody came and offered to buy it from me and I, I went to my accountant and said, what do you think I should do? And he said, you'd be silly not to sell it, you know? So did you sell it? Yeah, I sold it. It was, uh, it was $365,000 for eight months off my $25,000 investment. Wow. So, wow. Man, yeah. that's incredible. So this upper crust, I've heard of the upper crust. Is it, is it affiliated with the upper crust? That's like in Northeast, like the pizza place. Is it the same? No, no, no. This was, oh, okay. uh, this is, yeah, this was just an individual thing that I, I did, you know, upper crust. I was doing it, not pizza like concept. It was more sandwich concept. Okay, the upper gotcha, crust. Gotcha. Uh, back in the olden days, the King always got the upper part of a crust. You know, he got the best part nice. where the peasants got the hard crust. Okay. So that was like kind of my got idea you. behind that. So you sold it for $365,000. Um, and what did you do? Uh, well, actually, I feel like there's going to be more lessons in here somewhere. What, what do you think it was about the upper crust aside from the food? I mean, we know the food was good. What made that business appealing uh, aside? Like, what, what did you do? What can we learn from your experience? Um, that, that that was all about um, becoming part of the community. All the stuff that I like as a, as a chef, I didn't want to be part of any of that, you know, community stuff. I just wanted to cook. But this was the first time, I guess, when you have a restaurant, you have to participate in community things. So you you need a community behind you to make it work. And so that was my first uh exposure to like kind of the, the ass kissing that you got to do it. I wouldn't call it ass kissing, but there's just the stuff you have to do mm-hmm. beyond cooking. So how did you get the community behind you? You know, just when people would come in they're they're more than happy to introduce themselves. And, and if you're personable and you're friendly and you, and you really do care what you're doing and you care about them, people can pick up on that. So, you know, they, they want to support you like you want to support them and, it's just kind of a synergy that starts to happen and mm. everybody wants in on it, you know? Awesome. Uh, so, okay. You sell the restaurant, you have $365,000 or what's your plan? Are you going to do okay. another restaurant? Like what was the plan after that? So, so what, what happened after that is, um, I thought I was like super smart, you know, 
Like the, I, I just ego started it. to creep back, huh? Yeah. So so my ego puffed back up, and so I I started to drink again. Oh man, you know, and I and I kind of pissed a little bit of it away. I I, I screwed up, you know, and then and then I got focused again, and then so this was the first time that like I had somebody um, that took a liking to me. I did a party for some people, some celebrity, and they took a liking to me and they said, why don't you um, come to church? You know, and that like church was the last thing I, like I was going to do, mm-hmm. you know? And so I said, okay. And I went to church and through at church with these, with this couple, um, we discussed like opening up a restaurant. And so uh, I'm like, no, nah, I'm not really ready. I'm not ready. You know, I'm not, you know. And so they kind of kept like, you know, hounding me to let's, let's do a restaurant together as a partner partnership. And so um, after enough, enough prodding, I said, yeah, I'll do it. Let's do it. And so I went in partners. Like, I don't know, should I say the people's names or. If you, I mean, it's up to you. Okay. Uh, it, it's- okay yeah. So I went in partners with this, um, a hockey player. His name was, uh, Al Burry and his wife, Candace Cameron from full house. Yeah. Okay. So I went in partners with these, with these guys and, um, fantastic where people like love them to death. So we, um, this is where your ego gets in the way sometimes. So they're multimillionaires. I think I'm really rich because I sold a restaurant for 300,000. We're not, we're not the same, you know, (laughs) financially. So when I do the restaurant, instead of ever letting them like like have the fifty one percent, I went toe to toe with them on every expenditure. Okay. Okay. And they had nice taste, you know. Okay. So so it costs a lot of money. It was a lot of money to open up the restaurant. So you so, didn't want to be the you didn't want them to be the majority owner. You wanted to split it fifty fifty, which correct. is not a bad idea because correct. you want some. You don't want to be the guy that always has to fold, especially when you're the guy with the knowledge and the experience, and you're bringing that to the table. You don't want to have to fold correct. the person with the more the bigger paycheck. Correct. Um. So you put in too much money. Did you, is that what happened? Too much overhead. Yeah, yeah. I, I not too much money, but like too much money for what I knew was best. Because okay, I've been doing restaurants for a while. I know I don't need to buy the the best of that and the best of that. But with with them, we would go and pick out just anything from plates. The it'd be the most expensive plates, and I'd say, yeah, let's do it. Meanwhile, I know that they're going to break and they're going to like go in the garbage. You know, yeah. So my ego got involved, or I was too proud to say, hey, no, that's not you know that's not the best path. You know, I tried to like keep, keep up with them and it was like impossible, you know? Mm. So knowing what you know now, what would you have done to protect yourself going into that partnership? I would, I would have, um, stood my ground on what I knew was right. You know? Okay. You know, would you have, as we just lose focus, you know? Okay. So would you have maybe, uh, done like, was there, uh, a partnership agreement where there is spelled out responsibilities. Did you, there, there was, okay, there was. And, um, but that all kind of goes to the wayside. Once you start getting into it, it's, you know, let me just finish like with that restaurant, the restaurant that we opened, it lasted like a year and a half. And then we closed our doors. Okay. 
and it what what it was was we had me chef who thought he was the greatest thing i had a hockey player who's got the same mentality he thinks he's the greatest and we have an actress who thinks she's the greatest <laughs> you know we had three egos that were competing for the same space okay and that's a recipe for disaster it's a it wasn't going to work you know yeah um so so what would you okay hmm so many possible directions to go right now in the conversation. So too many <laughs> egos in the room, I guess. Uh, what would, what would be ideal in your opinion? Uh, yeah. What would, what would have made that work? Um, what would have made that work would have been um, probably. Um, I, I don't know if it would have worked. It could have worked. You know, if we would have defined the roles a little bit clearer on who was responsible for what, I think it might have worked out a little bit better. But we all just kind of like chimed in, you know, and and we all wanted the spot. It was it was a it was an odd time, yeah. You know, and so I don't think any one of us at that point were able to dial back who we were at that point. You know. Mm. So, so was this was this the milk and honey cafe? Yes. Okay. Yes, it was. And that was a year and a half. What year did that close? Um, my dates are funny. Um, it had to be probably twelve years ago, maybe twelve so, years ago. Okay, somewhere so around there, early two thousands. We'll say like two thousand four, two thousand five, yeah. two thousand six. That time, correct. Okay. Yeah. Um. So yeah, it closes after a year and a half. What are you doing now? Um, now I'm just like, like, a, am uh, distraught. I've like, think I'm a loser. I've, you know, like I, I can't make this, you know, restaurant thing work, but I, that was like my one saying. And the other saying was like, I'm better than everybody. Why? You know, I'm not giving up. I'm mm-hmm. not giving up, you know? And so at that point I was drinking again, I was drinking and I was like kind of just wallowing my sorrows. I was like, just, you know, how's, how am I going to pull my bootstraps up here? You know, at that point, my wife, you know, she was done supporting my dream of, you know, restaurants. She was, she was done. Yeah. So, so she, she decided to pack up and leave. And so when she left, that was my awakening call. That was it. You know, that was when I realized like this is, you know, this, all the other nonsense, the drinking stuff had to end, mm. you know? So I made a commitment that, that I wasn't going to do any of that anymore. And I, I got down on my hands and knees and I prayed to God. And I said, if, if, you know, if you can get me back on my feet, then I will never touch another drink. And, you know, and so, I haven't drank since then, you know, so it's, wow. it's been kind of a, a beautiful journey from that point, you know, but getting to that point was a little rough. So do you think it was your failure with uh, milk and honey that brought back the, the heavy drinking? Was it more drinking out of like self pity and sorrow or was it just, yeah, like, yeah, it was all, crazy all of that. It was all that like rolled into just, yeah, I was, and, and also like when I, when I get like super, super organized, I get bored and boredom creeps in like stupid stuff into mm-hmm. my head, you know? Mm-hmm. So I have to stay busy, mm-hmm. you know? And so with that place, I was 
fairly, you know, organized with it. And so it became, you know, and then I was depressed and depressed. I drank. I don't know why I drank. I never like been able to figure that out. You know, mm. I just know it's not, it's, I'm not meant to drink. <laughs> you yeah. know? So, I mean, I, you're not alone. I think there's a, so many people who struggle in this industry. We're surrounded by uh, social people who like to go and drink. The temptations there were surrounded by alcohol. It's it's at arm's reach at all points. Uh, what is your advice to that person that's out there who might be trying to break away from from alcohol to turn their life around? How did you do it, and what advice do you have for them? Yeah, the uh, the best place to like to, is is you need to like change your change the people that you're hanging out with. You yeah. know, if it means you know that the routine that you have needs to change. Mm. Yeah, it's it's, it's it, so you powerful. Keep doing the same thing. The the, the saying yeah, you're you, the, the average of the five people you spend most of your time with is so true. If you're surrounded by people who are going to be doing it constantly, you're going to be you're just going to be around it, and you're going right. to be doing it too. Right, and t- you could you could be like that later, but in the beginning, if you're trying to like stop, you, you need to remove yourself from that situation. You mm-hmm. know, so that would be my my number one thing is just change your change your friends. Yeah. <laughs> you so you, is that what you did? You changed your friends? Yeah, pretty much. I pretty much just like t- mm-hmm. turned away from all of, uh, like anything that had anything to do with that. I just had to like go the other direction. So what you did know, you I had s- too much at stake? You what know, did you start I, doing? I Who did you start surrounding with yourself with? Um, I started surrounding myself with people from my church. Um. I was looking for guidance from my counselors. I I just not to say that they're like any better or anything like that, but they're a little safer, Mm. you know, got you. So, So. um, you clean yourself up, you start surrounding yourself with people who are going to, you know, lift you up and and move you in the right direction. Um, (laughs) sorry, I'm on your website right now. looking around. What are you going on? Did you hear that? That's right. yeah, <laughs> I was looking yeah. at your website, trying to find information. Yeah, to dig. I want to be there. And it was uh, <laughs> the, the video you have hosted on your website. Sorry about that. Uh, what was I saying? So that's cool. Um, you start, you start turning yourself, yeah, people that lifted around, me up. lifting you up. Uh, when did you start having the ambitions to open your own place again? Okay. So at that point I was broke again, like broke, not a dollar to my name. Okay. So like I, I made it, I, I lost it. I made it. I lost it again. And so just by chance, there was, uh, the, the restaurant that I sold in the beginning, milk and honey or a mustard seed. No, no. Which one was it was, uh, upper crust. Mm -hmm. Well, they owed me $50,000 that they were, they were making payments. So just by chance, they had to pay me off. Like it was like they, cause they sold it. And I was the first person on the, on the, on the, uh, license. Okay. So I got a $50,000 check or 45 or whatever it was. And okay. there was a restaurant, um, that was available. So that was mustard seed, the first one. So I had a, I still had a fairly decent reputation so I opened up mustard seed number one and you know, from the day that I opened that one, it was jam packed busy, you know, and started like really doing 
extremely well. So you're oh, at some point your wife came back, I'm assuming. <laughs> yeah, she came back. She came back with you know, when I when I opened up mustard seed the first one, like I asked her to come back and, and do it with me. You know, so she's like, let's do this together. You said she was done with you and your dream of opening a restaurant. Um, yeah, but apparently she wasn't. So what was it that was different? Was just was it the fact that you kicked the drinking? It was that and that she uh, she was doing some like praying on, you know, on her own or whatever. And I guess she had, you know, sounds corny, but she like got some kind of signs that, you know, this is where she's supposed to be. Yeah. And, you know, she kind of supported, you know, okay. she's a strong woman. She's not going to put up with my crap. So was she was she ever a part of the businesses before this point or was she always in the background? Um not not no she was you know she of course she was but not like uh day-to-day operations now so what made her want to go into a partnership with you with this this restaurant what was different what did she bring to the table um, I, I i i guess i convinced her that you know between with the two of us that we could be unstoppable yes <laughs> you know and so she knows she's a, she's fantastic like with people like the best with people that I've ever come across. She's like so awesome. She makes everybody feel so like I said, listen, if, if you just do this front of the house stuff, she didn't know how to wait tables. She's mm-hmm. not a server or any of that kind of stuff. But I said, you, you put your spin on it and then I'll do the food side. And I said, we could definitely be unstoppable. And so she, she made a commitment to like do it. Awesome. And, and she does a great job. Like she's like incredible. So you learned so many lessons from going through these experiences, opening and closing these restaurants. What did you do differently with the mustard seed that I th- that you think you know is making a difference? I guess which is like really separating this restaurant apart from the other ones. Um, well, definitely it was like having the clarity, you know, from not going out and and uh, you know partying and all that kind of stuff i i became like a a decent father i would come home and and, and all that just kind of portrayed to like the community here is very small and so if you're if you're out in public sign you're intoxicated or whatever you, you people like take note of that mm-hmm. and then they also take note if you're at their soccer games and mm-hmm. doing that kind of stuff and so i shifted from that the 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 dark side to the light side. And so people are here to support you too. So if they see that you're, you're giving it 110%, they're going to support you. And so that's where it kind of shifted where the, the community became behind me a hundred percent, me and my wife and, you know, pretty much have been behind us ever since. Awesome. And how many locations do you have now? Was, is it two locations? Well, we have, we had two. Um, Then I sold one of those. And so we're down to one now, and the one that we, the one we have now um, is in plantation. It's uh, fifty-five seat, you know, sixty-five seats with outside. Okay. So, was the original location the one you sold, or did you keep the yes. original? Okay. Yeah. So the location yeah, you're at I, now is, I, I, is there is a restaurant, an okay. existing restaurant, in, in that I that I. Um, I saw one day I drove by, it was there for 30 years. It was like a landmark in, in plantation. And I drove by one day after church and it had the, you know, the red sign, the red tag on it, that it was seized, you know, they didn't pay their rent or mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff. And it said, um, only restaurant people, um, uh, uh, you know, inquire about it. So I called the number 
And the gentleman said, listen, he goes, have you ever had a restaurant before or whatever? And I said, yeah, I have a place called Mustard Seed. And he goes, oh, that's funny. He goes, I just had dinner there Saturday night. Oh, cool. And so he goes, uh, I go, so can we still talk? He goes, he goes, absolutely. So he met me on Monday. Monday, I shook his hand. I hadn't been in this restaurant for, you know, 15 years, but I just knew the location. So I shook his hand and took the property. And then uh, I didn't know how I was going to tell my wife. Like she didn't, she didn't have an idea. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> How'd that go over? <laughs> yeah, it didn't go over very well. It didn't go <laughs> over very well. But that's, you know, you have two different types of people. She's kind of the conservative one and I'm kind of the dreamer. Yeah. So, so it's turned out okay. So uh, why did you end up selling the second location or the first location? Um, the second location, it was a little bit difficult for me to staff it correctly. Um, you know, I had, you know, chefs that were up to no good, you know, when I wasn't around and, and then I had a, another chef that worked with me. Um, who his son worked with me and he was a chef I worked with him many years ago and his son. Um, so the dad, I said, Hey, I'll sell you the restaurant, but you got to bring your family back together, you know, cause the dad was kind of a, the chef dad, he was kind of a, you know, drunk, you know, dumbass, okay. you know, not taking care of his kids. So I said, the stipulation is you got to take your kids. I had both of his kids working for me. I said, you're going to go open up, you can have the restaurant, but you're going to do it with your kids and you're going to try to, you know, mend your, your life here, you know? So I gave him an opportunity, you know? So it wasn't about money at that point. Mm-hmm. It was about helping him get his, his stuff straight. But yeah. It was about helping him. And that know? didn't, that didn't work out. How did it work out? He, he lasted a couple of years, you know, but you know, I kind of moved on after I yeah. turned it over to him. Tim, this has been a great conversation up to this point, man. You've gone into a lot of detail. You've really opened up and uh, shared some great advice, uh, some wins and losses. And I mean, is, is there anything we haven't touched on up to this point uh, that you'd like to share? Uh, any lessons, any way you can distill uh, um, some of the stuff that we just went over? Just for for chefs out there, like, you know, follow your dream and, and, and don't give up. You know, like you can be knocked down a lot of times and just get back up and dust yourself off. You know, it sounds so cliche ish, but you're not going to learn any of these, you know, life skills, like having a squeaky clean straight to the top kind of life. I mean, it might happen for some, but it's, it's not the norm. So if you get knocked down and you lose everything, you you can still come back and, uh, and, and achieve your goals, you know, and, and once you get there, yeah, you really do cherish it. It's, 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 it's really kind of hard to explain, but Beautiful. it's, you know, that you put the work in and when you're reaping the benefits from it, it's like a glorious thing. It's beautiful. Yeah, so. man. Well, we're going to take a quick break. Uh, I can't believe we're already at an hour. I hope you have another like 10 to 15 minutes in you. Do you? Sure. Okay. Awesome. We're sure. going to take a quick break to thank our sponsors. and We're going to bust out some knowledge bombs. We'll be right back. To be unstoppable, most restaurant owners require extra capital from time to time. When you need funding to renovate, buy equipment, or manage cash flow, you don't have time to track down financial statements or wait weeks for a decision. That's where Cabbage can help. 
Cabbage gives small businesses access to a line of credit of up to $150,000. Apply online and you'll get a decision right away. Since Cabbage is a line of credit, you can take the exact amount you need. You never have to reapply to take out additional loans and you only pay for the funds you use. Cabbage has helped more than 100,000 businesses from every industry with over $3 billion in funding. Cabbage is A-plus rated by the Better Business Bureau and was named a Forbes Top 100 company twice in a row. Check out Cabbage with a K dot com slash unstoppable and you'll get a $100 gift card when you qualify. That's K-A-B-B-A-G-E dot com slash unstoppable line of credit is subject to credit approval. See terms and conditions. Nobody likes doing paperwork. If you have a growing group of restaurants and find yourself wishing you could snap your fingers and have all of your invoices and AP instantly disappear from your plate, then you need to call Sorcery. Sorcery is used to make owning and operating a restaurant a breeze. Instead of dreading invoices, you'll be delighted to be synced with every vendor. With their new relationships, you can work on negotiating the best price to improve your margins. And Sorcery's biggest super Power is that they watch the prices you pay across the kitchen from dry goods to proteins to produce. And when citrus skyrockets, you'll know to update your recipes before you end up kicking yourself at the end of the quarter. To learn more, head over to www.getsorcery.com or find the banner in the show notes. If you mention Restaurant Unstoppable at checkout, you'll get your first month free. Yep. We're back. And the first question I have for you is, what is your it factor? A habit, a trait, a characteristic you believe most contributes to your success? Um, quality is my best business plan for sure. Quality. quality. And then there's, a, there's an old mantra that is like one of my favorites is... Uh, Good judgment comes from experience, and a lot of that comes from bad judgment. I think that <laughs> that kind of fits my mold quite nicely. Awesome. What is your biggest weakness? My biggest weakness is at this point, and it's always been, is that I'm a little too, um, I'm a little too lenient, a little too nice to some people. I have like such compassion for, for uh, maybe downtrodden people that have like kind of failed in like our struggle. So I, I give people multiple chances, multiple chances. And sometimes it's not the best for the restaurant itself, but you know, I am where I am because of like some of the choices that I've made. And so I don't change doing that. You know, some of the other employees get angry with me, but I stick to that. You know, I, I have compassion for people, you know, beautiful, uh, both a strength and a weakness, I think. Absolutely. Uh, but definitely could be powerful and, uh, it's a double edged sword <laughs> Sure, for sure. sure. Um, what is a one question or thing you look for when you're building your teams? One question you ask or thing you look for? Um, uh, well, when it comes to the kitchen, I, I, I always ask if they have their own knives that's <laughs> one thing, you know, that kind of tells me a little bit about <laughs> where they're at. Um, I, employee wise, I like good character people. So I ask a lot of character questions, you know, try to find out if they're, if they're good people. Cause if they're good people and they work hard, I can definitely employ that, you know, 
it's it's the egotistical ones and all that. I, I can't employ that, you know. I, I, I like good character people, so. So, what kind of questions are you asking to get to the character people? Are you, are you just using your? your- um, I don't have the list here, but I got a, I have a list of like they're kind of trick questions to to ask people. Um, just a. Uh, is that list in digital form by any chance? Yes, it is. Well, I have it on uh, at, at work in the computer. Ooh, can so you I do that when? Can when you send it to me? <laughs> can I share that? Would you mind? If I could, like, I'm I'm not at work right now, but I could get it for you. Yeah, and I can get it back to you. Yeah, we'll we'll host it in the show notes. That'd be awesome. Thank you. Uh, what is a current challenge today? Your biggest challenge today? Um, I would say like this. It's minor, but it's but it's a big one for us. Is that the the, the access to phones and having people kind of tied into outside influences right now? Very difficult to keep people focused. So, so you know, people have, to have with- their phones connected to their body. They're you know, I've done all kinds of different ways to to monitor it, like put them all in a basket. I've done everything, and it just seems that you know the the younger generation right now is they need to be wired. And I think we don't get a hundred percent out of them because of that. So I don't have an answer for that one. Oh man, that's a bummer. Um, yeah, it is. It is. It's tough. Honestly, it's real tough. Uh, but I don't know. I, I have heard of some people harnessing it for good. Uh, if, if you can't be off your phone, then, you know, if that's where they're comfortable, maybe put them to work using technology. Like, all right, manage the social media. Like you, you create the guidelines, the standards, right. And then, uh, is that has that been something you've considered, or is that outside of the the realm of no? No, I would I would definitely go with that. I would do I would do what I think is as a consensus, maybe like how how to do it. But it's the the preoccupied with like someone's buzzing, you know, yeah. just like having social contact with their friends while working. That's what like you know sends me over the edge. <laughs> but if it was anything to do with work, I'm all for it. You know, yeah, yeah. you can use it. No, it's definitely where do they draw the line. It's, I think it's all bad, you know, but where do they, are they, are they capable at this you know stage to make the right choice? And sometimes you got to make it for them, you know? Yeah. I hear you. Uh, share one code of conduct or behavior you believe, or sorry, you teach your team. So code of conduct, this is like a core value, uh, a way to be a habit. Um, be on time, be on time. And the other one for the kitchen, let's be on time for everybody for like front of the house and back of the house. Yeah. And in the in the back of the house, it's a uh, taste, taste, taste. You got to you got to retaste it, taste it. And then another one is if it's not right, throw it away. You know, start over. That that's pretty simple. You know, and awesome. I love it. Throw uh, it out. <laughs> what is one uncommon standard of service you teach your staff? This is like uh, basically. So the example I use is. Uh, if you're approaching a table and you have something in your hand that doesn't belong to that table, you hold it behind your back. Is like an example of something that uh, you you kind of teach your your staff to go above and beyond? What's something that you teach? Oh, for my front of the house. Wow. Um, or the back of the house. Whatever. I would say like, my, yeah, my yeah, my for the front of the house. My wife is uh, she's awesome but she's like a touchy person so she's she's kind of instilled in these people to like when you go up to a table that you can put your hand in a loving way on their shoulders you know which kind of relaxes people yeah so i don't think that's standard practice that's almost like coming in sitting next to somebody but if you do it correctly it kind of takes it breaks them down a little bit Mm. and makes them feel a little bit more comfortable so i would say you know having a little shoulder 
Pat would probably be one for the front of the house. Yeah, they've done studies, and I, I can't remember, but that definitely does. I can't remember why, but it definitely does kind of break down that barrier and makes people feel kind of at home and welcome. Uh, but right. it can be dangerous too. Uh, you got to really be able to read a table before you start sure. touching everyone. Sure. Uh, but if, if you sure. have that, you know, emotional intelligence and you can read a table and you know when it's appropriate, it can be very effective for sure. Uh, awesome stuff. Uh, sure. Well, I, I, I know with, with a restaurant all day long, it's it, regardless front or back as yep. a business owner, it's almost like you're, you're there to put out fires. Mm. It's like a weird way to look at it because there's so many things that are going wrong throughout the day that when you're putting these fires out that you make it look seamless so that nobody else sees what's going on. I mean, that's, that's kind of like the business side of it. Now it's kind of crazy, but that's, that's what we do. Yeah, absolutely. It kind of reminds me, I've heard somebody say like the difference between great restaurants and good restaurants is the great restaurants are better at hiding their mistakes or like putting out the fires or covering things up. Uh, Sure. For sure. Like if people knew how many, you know, are going on in a day, it would be like, really? (laughs) You'd be so stressed out, you know, it's natural for us. So what's one book that's a must read uh, to become a better person or a restaurant owner? Okay. Um, for a better person, um, the gardening of Enuma, I don't know if you ever heard that, but it's by Rabbi Shalom Arush and it's, uh, it's a pro it's a practical guide to life. It's a pretty simple book to read. Awesome. Um, it's, a, it just talks about the power of God and like God's in all things. And it's, 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 it helps me a hundred percent. What's the biggest lesson? It's for everybody. I'm not, I'm not Jewish, but it's a Jewish by a rabbi. It's awesome. What's the biggest lesson that you took from that book? Like the big, like how do you show up better every day? Um, That, that, that that all things like that, there's different stages of how much you believe in God, Mm -hmm. but that all things, no matter what are done by it's, God's hands in it. Mm -hmm. And so it's hard for you can get past a couple things you think about like all the destruction, all that kind of stuff. If you believe God, he has his hand in all of that. It makes it so much easier in life, you know? Awesome. So was there a second book you had locked and loaded or was it, was it that one? Um, after, after that, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm all about cookbooks. I'm like, uh, I'm not a recipe reader. I'm just like a picture looker. I love pictures. <laughs> I love good art, you know? Yeah. But I'm reading Nobu's book right now. He's awesome beautiful uh i'll link what's what's that book is this the, the nobu cookbook yeah well he's got a, a, a autobiography on himself a little small one once well, like, you know a couple hundred pages yeah um, and it's amazing like when i was in california nobu was right up the street from me but i didn't even know who he was back then you know and so like there's a lot of things that i do i was reading his like recipes and a lot of stuff he does that i do i'm not gonna say i'm on the same level as he is yeah but it's it's amazing how like we we kind of have the same palate food wise. It's it's kind of cool reading this stuff. That is awesome. You know, uh, and I'm curious. Um, you know, these cookbooks, right? You said you you look at them for the recipes, but also there's a lot of like, like you said the autobiography pictures, pictures not recipes. Oh, sorry, the pictures. Uh, but there's you can learn a lot from the, the stories that they tell and the the values that they have in these cookbooks. True. So, uh, and there's an awesome like a, a, for young chefs out there right now. There's a book called The Last Magnificent Out. It's a movie. That Jeremiah Tower, the, the chef that we were talking about earlier, yeah, it's about his life. Oh, really? That Anthony Bourdain 
produced. Interesting. It's incredible. What's like the name of that a, again? Like if the last magnificent. All right, I'll link to that in the show notes too. Yeah, and, it uh, is awesome, and it just tells you like how like your passion and how food industry started in California. It's it's a it's an awesome movie. Oh, I'll have to check awesome. that out for sure. Um, all right, so we're almost done. What's one piece of technology you've adopted in your restaurant, and how has it influenced your operation? Well, I would say like if you're talking about like. Uh, POS system for sure. We used to have handwritten checks. POS system saves tons and tons of time for for guest service for the wait staff. You know, yep. less steps coming back to the kitchen. Um, that would be like a, the biggest thing for us. What what technology are you using? Which POS system? We have a. Uh, um, who is my POS system? It is uh, Pinnacle Pinnacle Holdings. I believe is who they are. Pinnacle. All right. Um, awesome. You know, it does all my back of the house stuff. It fits out my reports where, where I, I never needed reports and I still really don't to, at this stage because I can kind of feel what I sell, you know, in my, in my, uh, like I have this intuition. I sold X amount. I can kind of calculate that kind of stuff in my head. So, but it does get out to get the reports out for everybody else so awesome. they can understand where we're at. And so. if you got the news that you'd be leaving this world tomorrow and all the memories of you, your work and your restaurants would be gone with your departure, except for the three pieces of wisdom you could leave behind for the good of humanity and to represent you, uh, you know, what would those three pieces of wisdom be? Three pieces of, yeah. Wow. They can't be your children, huh? <laughs> uh, you know what? I think it could be, you know, why not? Because if you're doing your job right, you're instilling your values into them, right? What were the three pieces of wisdom you'd want your children to have or the values you'd want your children to have? You know, like, um, hard work beats talent every time, you know? So like I teach my kids to, you know, be first in and and same with my employees. I, I, if, if I was to be gone, I hope that some of the employees that I've trained can carry the torch, you know, maybe, you know, and then they can do the same for somebody else. And in that way it could be carried on through, you know, generations, you know, so that would be like awesome. Right now I have hard work beats talent every time past the torch. Yeah. What's one more. Correct. Give me one more. Oh, I need one more. Um, and for my for my for my wait staff, I would tell them, you know, you know how you always hear church versus state. You know, we're always yep. front versus the back kind of deal. Mm-hmm. You know, I I need to tell them all the time that every day is not the Super Bowl. You know, we're going to have good days and bad days, and so I don't like when they come in and they they uh, first thing they want to see is reservations. You know that kind of stuff that that takes us off point. So I, I just let, let, let them know that every day is not the Super Bowl. You know, you're not going to be busy every day. There's going to be days you're not. Got you. Awesome. Um, we wrap up every episode by calling somebody out, somebody you admire and believe would make a great guest mentor today. Somebody you look up to and just think, you know, has a lot to share. Um, wow. Uh, we could, in the, in the, Restaurant business, I would have to say, uh, and, and my good buddy Adam Lamb. Adam Lamb, a, oh man, he's Adam awesome. Lamb. He's got the his yeah. own podcast, right? He's been on. 
He does. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. He's great. I've actually, he's been on the show before. He's awesome. Yeah. He's, he's, he, he's like a dear friend. We used to be roommates. Oh, really? He's a great dude. Uh, I'll just give him a shout out and let him know that we're thinking of him. But uh, is there anybody else you have in your mind? Do you think would make a good guest on the show? Um, uh, chef wise, my, my, uh, you know, I'm all chef guys, but, uh, chef Paul Rizzo, who's like an awesome chef out here in Florida. Love him. You know, all right. Chef Paul Rizzo, look on, man, I'm coming after you and let the folks at home know chef Tim, if, if they want to come work for you or join your team or ask you some questions or, um, anything, what's the best way to connect? You can connect. Um, you can do my email. And you guys are more than welcome to have my cell phone. I have no problem answering any questions if anyone wants to call me. Um, can I give my cell phone out? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's uh, area code 954-591-0650. And if anyone ever uh, has any questions, you're feeling down or you're feeling up, give me a call. This is episode help you. 410. Head over to restaurantunstoppable.com slash 410. I'll have... Uh, chef tim's e or sorry his email uh his phone number right in there uh a link to everything that was discussed in today's episode a summary of today's discussion all over there episode 410 and chef tim boyd thank you so much uh for taking the time uh to to share your story to get real to really open up and make be vulnerable man like you really put it all out there i'm so grateful for your you and your your knowledge and your experience and i I think we're all better after listening to you and your journey for sure well thank you very thank you very much it was a pleasure doing this oh man it was my pleasure cheers There's another episode wrapped up here at Restaurant Unstoppable. I hope you guys enjoyed that conversation today. Tim Boyd, man, uh, really opening up and just getting real and just so much thanks uh, to Tim and other guests who are just so willing to like, you know, be an open book and to really put it all out there and to to get raw and to, to, to be vulnerable like that. Just thank you so much, Tim, for for going there and for, uh, you know, just owning it. And that's one thing I love about people in this industry. They're, when they screw up, uh, when they weren't right, uh, they, they're usually typical or typically able to just own that and not, not point the finger, but just say, you know, that was on me, uh, and to learn from it and to get back up and to keep going. And that's what Tim did throughout his career. He, he definitely naturally talented, um, went after it, fell down a few times, got back up and was better every time. And I hope you you took that away from today's conversation. The other thing I hope uh, you take from today's conversation is just the power of surrounding yourself with people who are going to lift you up and not surrounding yourself with people who are going to bring you down. Uh, And that's what Tim realized. He realized that if he wanted to kick this habit of uh, drinking too much, he needed to surround himself with people who uh, had good habits. And uh, that's true for everyone, guys, if you want to do great things in your career, surround yourself with the people who are going to lift you up, who are going to push you, who are going to have the disciplines to uh, the stay away from temptation. Uh, and just like he also said that quote, follow your passion, not a paycheck. Follow, follow a path that will surround you with these people that will help you get to where you need to go uh, and create those win-win relationships uh, where 
you're learning and you're working hard for people. Uh, and I just saw that in today's conversation. So awesome stuff today. Uh, like always, guys, please do reach out to me, Eric at restaurantunstoppable.com. Uh, tell me who you want to hear from. Tom Pryor uh, is the reason why this episode happened. Uh, he reached out to me and said, hey, you need to get my brother on the show. Tim Boyd uh, has a great story of overcoming adversity and just being, uh, you know, awesome <laughs> basically is how the conversation when you need to get my brother on the show and I, I scoped it out and sure enough man tim was great so if you guys uh have somebody out there you think should be on the show somebody we can make an example of someone we can learn from let let me know put them on my radar uh we'll make it happen and keep those five star reviews on itunes and stitcher radio coming they really do help uh, i'm gonna be headed out to pittsburgh it sounds like this is this trip is gonna happen my first stop is gonna be pittsburgh uh the first couple of weeks in pittsburgh i'll be going around town uh i might head out to richmond after that to, sounds like i have some opportunities out there um then i might go south to florida uh tim said he had some great people that i should talk to out there so if you guys can think of anybody if you're in these areas and you want to meet up let me know eric at restaurant unstoppable and um man this is a lot of fun so uh i hope you guys enjoyed that conversation um i think that's all for today Yeah, so I love you all. Couldn't do it without you. And until next time, peace out.